Welcome to the Vancouver Tech Podcast. This is episode 86. I'm your host, Drew O'Grizzik. Samantha, what's going on this week? Hey Drew, a lot of cool events this week. On Monday, Tech Vancouver is having their monthly meetup. There will be demos and showcases, an awesome event to network and learn what's happening in the community. This is at 6 p.m. at the TELUS Garden. On Tuesday, there's a lunch and learn on how you can use AngelList to help you raise your next round. This event is at Launch Academy at 11.45. On Wednesday, we have speakers from EA and Google to talk about Web Component. This is hosted at Clio at 6 p.m. Or you can attend a talk about JavaScript promises and the new async and await support in Node.js. That's at UBC Robson Square at 6.45. Finally, on Thursday, Tony Robbins and other speakers will be here for the Power of Success Conference. Topics will include sales and marketing, negotiating, personal development, and strategies for success. This event kicks off at 8 a.m. at the Vancouver Convention Center. Another event on Thursday is Vancouver's iDeveloper's Summer Barbecue. It's in downtown at 6 p.m. And that's this week's top events you should check out. All right, and we're here with uh, Scott Belair. Scott, what's a monolith? It's usually the result, uh, unintended result, of, of uh, years of development using uh, a framework that has tendencies to invite the outcome of a monolith into, uh, into an application's architecture. Uh, it really is typified by having um, everything in one place. Um, that's usually the the advantage that people are, are looking for early on in the process. The productivity advantage early in, you know, let's say a startup's development or a new project's development, having everything in one place, allowing the developers to, you know, see everything in one place, just open it all up in one in one, you know, editor view and and work with it. Um, the uh, architectural uh, implications of it are that once this is done. Once we have something like this, and once once we use tooling that invites this kind of thing, or thinking that invites this kind of thing, it becomes very, very difficult to change from that monolith to something that isn't monolithic. Um, uh, right now, the industry is trying to en masse, you know, everyone's trying to do this now. You, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it wasn't everyone that wanted to pull this off, but now everybody wants to use a service architecture, what with the popularization of... Um, the uh, microservices uh, word uh, brand. Um, everybody wants this. The services and stuff in a moment, but let's um, let's come back to monolith for a moment. Yeah, in your opinion, is a monolith always a bad thing? No, not at all. Um, most monoliths are bad, um, but you know it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just something that you have to be very, very disciplined with and, and control rigorously. Um, so the monolith that, is basically just a, a single application where the entire code base resides in a single code base. Mm, that's that's true and not true. That's, that 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 characterization is also true of other architectures. So it's it's not really it's pertinent in that you can commonly observe it, but it's not the root cause. The, the root cause is uncontrolled entangle, entanglements of things that shouldn't be entangled. Um, and things that, like, uh, logically in your mind might, might seem to be related to each other, you know, like a customer <laughs> and an order. Um, you know, customers have orders. An order has a customer. Um, 
So, you know, you might think, well, those things are together. Well, they're not really together at all. They're only together, you know, as a back of the napkin drawing that you might do in a diner at 2 a.m. You know, that's, if, if you think that way, if you think those things go together, then you'll, then you'll design them together. And it's a really, a, 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 it's really a thing that, that, that we do uh, early in our careers, where early can be any value from zero years to like 10, 15 years. That, you know, zero to 10 years is still effectively not a senior level designer, you know, even though your title might be, you know, senior developer. After, you know, one year, you can become a senior developer, but you still really haven't seen the panoply of, 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 of uh, tools and techniques and countermeasures you can have. You know, what we end up with when we have these things entangled with other things is a decrease in productivity of the team. You know, that's why teams are looking to try to get out of their monolith and into X, whatever X, whatever they think it is. It's some magical, mystical ejection seat handle that you can pull that will just relieve you of all the mistakes you've made. And, and really, monoliths are perfectly fine as long as you don't make mistakes that are not really germane to monoliths, but germane to software design. If you mess up software design, you're going to mess up your monolith. You're going to mess up your X, doesn't matter what where you go to. And the thing that must be rigorously controlled, usually to an extent way further than most people or most, you know, juniors would think, is uh, is this thing called coupling, which you know we can more think of in terms of entanglement, things that are entangled with other things, i.e., things that call other things and can call other things because they're reachable, and things that are compartmentalized versus not compartmentalized. Once you get there, and once you once you get there, you'll start seeing that the productivity slows, it gets worse. I.e., it just becomes harder to get things done over time, and that's not a natural state of affairs. Uh, that's like software doesn't. You know, people say, "Oh, that's just how software goes." That's not how software goes. That's what. That's how. That's how things happen when developers do the wrong things. I.e., when developers don't really know to begin with what a mistake is in software development and software design. If you don't know what the mistakes are, you're going to make them. Um, so that doesn't necessarily, according to you, have to be the case with a monolith. Absolutely um, not. No, absolutely not. Is um, you know has good sort of separation of concerns, has uh, um, nice clean modular code. Yeah, and the problem, yeah, absolutely. And the problem with this, these terms like separation of concerns, you know, they if you ask somebody who's trying to take shortcuts, their definition of separation of concerns is going to be far less meaningful and disciplined than somebody who actually knows how to control. The productivity factors of design, uh, so that they don't end up, you know, in the toilet after after a couple months or a couple years. So What's the cost of taking shortcuts. Well, the cost of taking shortcuts is, is major rewrites. Uh, it, the cost of taking shortcuts is losing your best staff because they don't want to work in that crap. Um, the cost of of taking shortcuts is that you have. At the point in time where your application is starting to be useful and starting to make you money or starting to get you market or attention, right at that moment where you absolutely need to start working on new and innovative features, right at that moment, you're going to be faced with a rewrite or you're going to be faced with such a dr dramatic slowdown that you're not going to be able to execute on the business vision that you had. So ultimately, there's one word for this and all developers uh, and all developer managers um, should understand that understand these issues through the lens of business continuity monoliths poorly done will lead to business continuity problems i.e you cannot continue at the same pace that you thought you could continue at and therefore you have a continuity problem 
you might actually be stopped, you know, dead in your tracks. A rewrite is stopping dead in your tracks. A, you know, a transformation of a monolith into some other architecture means business continuity is going to take a hit. Uh, and that's a real problem because usually managers aren't expecting and business leaders aren't expecting this slowdown to happen at this point on the timeline. They're expecting an acceleration, a harvesting and a leveraging of all the assets they've built. But what it really ends up with is the realization that what the development team and the technical team has been doing is not creating assets, but creating a, a future liability that is simply going to be the chickens that come home to roost at one point in time. And it's going to be the worst possible time for it to happen. And then, but a bing, but a bang, the development team is talking about, about a new architecture. And new a complete redesign of the architecture. So here's a question I have. Can you think of a, a good use case where, let's say, you have a monolith. Uh, it is well designed. The code's very modular. It's easy to work with. Um, <laughs> I can't uh, think. I can't think of many of those cases. No, no, I can't. By the way, but I want to you know, just just real quick before you move on. There's there's this issue of you asked what is a you know can you get a well designed monolith? Um, can you absolutely you can. The effort to do that is so dramatically more uh, than what the average developer is willing to accept. Uh, it's, it requires a responsibility that the average developer is, is usually unwilling to take unto themselves mm -hmm. that we actually never really very often see them in practice. So but when you, come to, when you come to peace with what needs to be done to keep a monolith from going straight to hell, when you come to peace with that, it's incredibly liberating. And then sooner or later, after you practice it for a while, it doesn't become onerous at all. It doesn't become a psychic shock or, or, or emotional weight. It, it's just something you do. And when you realize what the patterns are and, well, how, how, how straightforward and obvious it all is in retrospect, you, 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 you sort of engage with it in a, with a positive uh, mindset rather than a negative mindset. And the real challenge we have here is when you tell developers what they really need to do to really keep their monolith healthy, that's usually embraced, that's usually engaged with through a negative mindset because all of a sudden, all this really super easy, this Superman-style heroic things that developers could do in a, in a blink of an eye simply can't happen in a blink of an eye. And people need to, you know, buckle down and, and, and use patterns and techniques that allow them to have a maintainable monolith code base. It would have been very easy for me, if I, especially as a non-technical person, to listen to what you just said and say the development team sucks. Well, the development team does suck if the development team ends up with a monolith that requires a rewrite or that loses its productivity right at the most critical point in the business's life cycle. Mm -hmm. that, so, I mean, I'm sorry, like there's, there's no better term for that. Like that is a suckage that, you know, the business people negotiated salaries with the development team. Mm -hmm. The business people had an expectation of a return on investment. And what the development team is doing within two months to two years is turning around and saying, your return on investment is effectively null and void. You have to respend this investment. And by the way, I hate this job so much that I'm going to take my experience with the domain and I'm going to walk and go to a new company for, for you know, $10,000, $20,000 increase in salary. Like, that's just, um, you know, that's just criminal. Right? You know, I mean, not technically. You bring, really, bad. you bring up a really good point here. When you have a good monolith that is modular, that it, it, the code is clean, there are good separations of concerns, it's very easy to reason through, it's easy yep. to write code with, are there good, compelling reasons that you can think of to switch from monolith to microservice architecture in that case? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the benefits of, of a service architecture are, um, are the same. I mean, the benefits of software design, you know, the machine doesn't give a damn. 
Um, there are certain certain problems that can come up with monolithic design, i.e., it's you know one thing fails, the whole thing fails. Mm-hmm. You know, so having compartmentalization of failure. Uh, so that you don't have, you know, a cascade of failures or, or just simply what we, you know, a monolithic failure, i.e. like there's only one thing that can fail. So, you know, it's kind of like having a human body. If you had one cell in your body die and the entire body dies, like that would be problematic. You know, that's why we have, that's why we have organs. That's why we think of things in terms of, you know, terminology like organism. Mm-hmm. Um, you have compartmentalization. So we don't, if you don't have compartmentalization, you're done. But, you know, that still can be a benefit for productivity. Um, but, you, you, you know, development teams still can benefit from, from this stuff. Getting to services means you have greater compartmentalization. And by having greater compartmentalization, things can be worked on, things can be changed, like things that are already working can be changed so that their failures or any mistakes or any problems in that change or, 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 you know, any, actually the changes, the work of the changes themselves don't have to impact other working parts in a system. Like when I'm operating on your toe, it doesn't cause your kidneys, ideally, to fail. That's because those things are are organic, i.e. they're compartmentalized. Uh, You cut into an earthworm, you're not going to see compartmentalized, unless you're an earthworm specialist, but you're not really going to see like systems that are compartmentalized that well. That's why it's really, really hard to do kidney kidney transplants uh, on on an earthworm. It's it's an all-or-nothing proposition. By removing the all-or-nothingness, you can get really, really significant improvements in productivity across the board from operations, you know, through development, through quality assurance, through uh, even, 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 you know, business design and product management and, and exploiting new business opportunities. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about what a monolith is. And from if I could recap, from your point of view, a monolith is a single code base, oftentimes where the code is coupled and it's a mess. Uh, Sometimes we do observe uh, a monolith that's not a mess, but much more often we see it in a state where uh, it's gotten out of hand and everybody on the team should be fired. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. Um, You know, and I got to say, it's not really about the the fact that the code base is all in one place. That's actually a side effect. You know, the problem is when immature teams are looking at their monolith and going, what we really need to do is separate out this code. It has nothing to do with the code. The code, it does. But, I mean, the code is, an, is, is a symptom. The code being altogether a symptom. The root cause when you dig down into it is database design. And that's just not going to resonate with somebody who doesn't already know what that already means. But it needs to go in the back of the mind of everybody that this is a problem of database design. Uh, a monolith is the, – the cause of a monolith is a monolithic row. Well, one, one thing that does seem to hold true here, Scott, is every time you mention monolith, it's the cause of, this is the, the result of, we're, we're talking about it as if it's a disease. Where well, it's I mean, it, it, well, here's, I mean, here's the problem. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a disease, but it's a gaping wound that has, that doesn't have a bandage on it that's inviting cancer. Now, when I asked you, is a monolith always bad, and then you describe it, and you say no, and then describe it as a gaping wound that's inviting cancer. Yep. Yep. But if I know how to, not always bad. But if I know how, if if I have, if I know how to be sterile, if I have sterile practices, Mm -hmm. then I can deal with a monolith. It's a shortcut. A monolith is a shortcut. It's and a shortcut has a better definition in production systems management. It's incomplete work. So you don't build a facade and then build a veranda off the facade because you're aware that it's a facade and you don't build upon a facade because 
like my abnormal psych prof said in college, that's that's uh, the de- you know the definition of, of neuro- the, the the delineation between neurosis and psychosis is neurotics build castles in the sky, psychotics move in. You know, building building a veranda off the facade is moving into your fi- to your imaginary castle in the sky. So you've got to kind of understand that if you've got a monolith, you've got a castle in the sky. You've got all this work that should have been done that you're basically saying we're not going to do that. We're going to take all these shortcuts. When you have a pile of shortcuts. You don't then allow yourself to believe that it's a complete implementation. So there's things you do and do not do with it. Um, when I build a monolith, uh, I use I use the same kind of compartmentalization uh, patterns uh, that allow me uh, that that sort of reflect object orientedness or modularityness or you know basically that the most fundamental unit of uh, or quality of design in the universe, which is compartmentalization or physical design. At the non-quantum level, let's say, you know, your organs, your body is structured this way. Your building that you're standing in is structured this way. Your monolithic software ideally is structured this way, unless your developers don't know how to do this and are taking some pretty radical shortcuts. And like I said, if you have good sanity, uh, if you have, <laughs> if you have good sterilization techniques, you can have a gaping wound for a little while. But if you okay, don't, your gaping wound is going to become your death. Right. Let's uh, hop over to uh, services, specifically microservices. So what are microservices? Microservices uh, is a uh, brand name for um, services that we've always had for, for decades. So, you know, services a service is a service. Microservice is just a new name for service-oriented architecture uh, for this decade for a new generation of developers who maybe would be intimidated by having uh, having to go back and learn something historical, <laughs> so it's it's basically SOA. You know, a lot of this 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 comment is out there. Microservices is just SOA done without the mistakes. Mm-hmm. So there's one 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 critical aspect of uh, of of how SOA has evolved over the years because things evolve over the years. Uh, tools are thinking. So SOA over the years has evolved such that we arrive today where we say something that we did in the past with SOA wasn't so great. So we're not going to do that anymore. And that thing was programmable uh, message buses. So that's a smart bus, you know, uh, smart pipes. Um, and in the SOA world... So whether it's, um, whether it's a good idea or not, I think a lot of people often um, often identify with the tooling uh, around around those uh, ideas or concepts. So what would be some of the tooling you might use in a smart uh, bus or a smart... Um, like RabbitMQ. Rabbit it's basically that the bus has intelligence. So you put, you, put a, you put a message on a bus and the bus can figure out where it needs to go, like the endpoint. Like it, it can, it basically, it can route or reroute itself uh, or that it could decide whether or not it needs to be sent at all or whether or not you know, it has been sent once and therefore don't send it again or it never arrived and therefore sent. So that's that's intelligence built into the bus. Um, the, in, in the microservices world, not because it's microservices, but just because our thinking has evolved, our thinking and so has evolved, um, we just sort of realized that that was, that was more problematic. It seemed like a really great idea. It's really pretty fancy and cool. Uh, it's really intellectually stimulating, but in the end, in practice, in operations, it, it became its own set of problems. And so now we build services that don't really uh, have dependencies on the capabilities of the bus to get their work done. Um, so things like idempotence, whether or not that's a familiar term, 
uh, is something that has to be handled by the service implementation, uh, not by uh, not by the bus itself. Um, and and that leads to different different sets of patterns, more evolved sets of uh, sets of patterns and techniques that we that we use to actually build the you know, the application or applicative logic in the services. Now, would that be, um, I guess, communication tooling that uh, might be in shared libraries uh, across the microservice architecture? No, no, there very, very rarely is. That's that's kind of like with with the with the uh, the uh, you know the saying, um, "dumb pipes, smart services." Um, it means that the services have code, the application code, the application code logic itself. Which we'll call applicative logic henceforth. The applicative logic itself uh, has some knowledge that there's messaging going on, and that the developers are no longer shielded from having to know that there's messaging going on, and that there are certain realities of messaging, i.e., dealing with idempotence, um, that the developers have to handle. But that's not something that can be so quickly and so easily generalized. You know, quickly and easily generalizing it, by the way, means that we're taking that logic. And we're pushing it back towards the bus again. The goal is not to shield the developers anymore. Developers are going to do this kind of work, which used to be thought of as high-end work that only a small fraction of the developer population can deal with. Now, if this is going to go mainstream, developers just need to, you know, buckle down and, and understand this stuff. And once they do, they'll have they'll be empowered. They'll gain a they'll gain a new superpower. But it's not that difficult to to learn. But it must be learned, and and it's usually something that developers don't have a handle on. The moment a developer tries to take that and push it out of their responsibility, try to generalize it into a library, um, that's no difference than having a smart bus. So why is there this trend now, or I'm maybe reading that into what you're saying, but it seems that you're suggesting that now there's this trend where you know, for years it was the, the elite developers or the smart developers or the the nerdiest of the nerds, I don't know, yep. um, the developers that were doing uh, these particular things, and now it's more of an everyone's responsibility. Because the, because the, 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 the highfalutin claims of monolithic frameworks like, like, like uh, Rails and Django and, you know, you name it, Express, maybe uh, Phoenix to some extent, anything that has the 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 gaping wounds that attract the 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 death of the monolithic project, i.e., anything built on on um, monolithic data models, um, those projects are failing. And you know, it hasn't been forever since that we've been doing this. By the way, ORM plus WebMVC. That's not a, that's not a long time that that's been in our history. That's you know Rails basically went v1 in 2007 and everybody's been copying rails since then so that's only a decade now i realize that most most developers uh in the world have you know five years experience but that's that's just a, a blink of a blink of an eye in terms of in terms of the in terms of architectural history so those things haven't have been around you know, there were some great big claims made about how these frameworks are going to change the world and make everybody more productive, and they did to a certain extent. Um, but um, they also led to some really horrific outcomes in terms of productivity uh, and rewrites and um, uh, and extra costs that nobody had wanted. So now we want. Now we got to get out of that. Now we've got this this monolithic code base, and like we got to escape it. You want to pull the ejection handle. 
Well, and, so and, rapid you know. iteration, rapid feedback, and, and then changing with the feedback, it, that seems to be something that we we tend to embrace. But uh, but monolith to microservice uh, architecture isn't exactly that, is it? So what are some, oh sure it is uh, oh, absolutely it is. it is absolutely it is. and by the way rapid rapid iteration you know all that stuff all those terminology you just said you did, that, that's all that's all cribbed from extreme programming by that goes back by the way to 1999 uh, I will tell you this much that what we meant by that was not what people ended up doing so if you were around in 1999 and you were seeing like here here are these terminal here are these slogans now here's the techniques we still kept the slogans in the mainstream and the slogans are still that rapid feedback. Slogans are still there, but the means of going about doing that uh, to are, are largely unrecognizable to somebody who was involved in that in that pioneering time when those techniques uh, themselves were introduced to the mainstream. Now the mainstream is is almost entirely disassociated from how to do rapid feedback and to do it um, uh, with good sterilization practices. So I, you know, when I hear people say, "Yeah, but you know, you gotta have you gotta have rails to have rapid," it's like it's a pile of crap. We had rapid feedback because we changed our design techniques, because we changed our quality control techniques, not because of a framework. But when you came up as a developer in the age where Rails had always been around, or ExpressJS, or or Django, or whatever copied Rails, when you came up in that age, you really wouldn't have known like what an original what the original meaning of, of those philosophies were back when they were introduced. So, I mean, I got to really caution that, you know, rapid feedback is not contingent upon an ORMDC framework. Uh, I get rapid feedback on my solo projects just because I know or what the original meaning is, and I know what that means in terms of design pattern, design technique, and, and test-driven development. Okay, so um, what where I was going with that was <laughs> from a monolith to microservices. Is there a way to continue with those uh, that sort of rapid feedback while doing so? Sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you can, if you know, if you know the secrets <laughs> of design that allow you to have rapid feedback, um, then you can do that in any architecture. So really, it's not about the it's not about the tooling. It's not about the the. Um, the language you choose to program in. It's not about the frameworks. It's about the design and the design patterns and the, the, the architecture. Yeah. When you're a junior, it's always about the tooling because you don't have a grasp of the things that are above and beyond that transcend the tooling. So to a certain extent, for a lot of people, they're limited to seeing it through the tooling. Uh, but it absolutely is nothing to do with that. But this sounds a little bit mystical, you know. It's like there's transcendent, there's transcendental qualities of software that will that will give you mystical powers above and beyond any framework. But that's the fact. I mean, uh, you know, if we can't get beyond like the I'm a, I'm opposed to that because it sounds mystical, if we can't get beyond that. We simply can't get educated. Um, so yeah, has nothing to do with the tooling in the language. Obviously, if you choose a language that is really you know, if you try to build everything in bash scripts, you, you, you might have a more difficult time. If you try to build everything in assembly language, you might have a, mission, a more difficult time than dealing with, you know, a more higher level language for sure. But uh, if we're talking about the languages that we and tools that we that we typically use that are, you know, that are commonly accepted, then then they're all effectively um, the same thing uh, in terms of their effectiveness when it comes to any given architecture. Okay, so uh, if you were to give some advice or recommendations to, let's say, uh, a CEO or um, sort of a non-technical lead, 
whose CTO or, or technical lead uh, has brought up the proposition of breaking out the monolith into microservices, what would that advice be? Uh, watch out. Uh, monolith is not a stop along the way towards microservices. It's not part of the evolutionary path towards microservices. Uh, they are actually, they're, they're, they're uh, things that are op opposite ends of the continuum uh, that are, uh, are, are traveling in opposite directions. So uh, breaking out microservices, that terminology is usually a red flag uh, for, for us, for my team and, and, for, the, and for my colleagues. Uh, that typically means that you're, that typically is associated with uh, uh, an end result of a, of a services project that is going to end up creating what we call the distributed monolith, which they haven't solved they haven't understood what the root cause of the monolith is, and they just took the monolith and broke out, in air quotes, broke out, you know, the product service and the user service and all these services that sound like that sound like entities, because those entities in the, are, are backed by database rows, and those database rows themselves are monolithic. And so, if you don't, if you go to a microservices uh, architecture and you're not looking at your rows and saying, well, this part of the row goes to that service is going to be broken out to that service, you're going to be breaking up rows. Not breaking out rows. You're going to be breaking up rows. Uh, and and um, it's very dangerous when you take a monolith and you end up breaking out entire rows, entire entities, uh, and moving them into their own services because the amount of communication uh, uh, that needs to happen over a network uh, is going to reflect the amount of communication that is already in the in the non-distributed uh, implementation that you already have. So you take a distribute, non-distributed implementation, simply put those things on a network. By the way, we did this all the way in the 90s and the 2000s. That's called distributed objects. It was an abject and complete and utter disastrous failure. So we get a, you know, we get a cadre, uh, and a new cohort of developers with five to 10 years experience who don't know that that's actually a disastrous thing to do with computers and networks and software, and, and they're going to recreate it, and they are recreating it. The distributed monolith is a reality, and projects are failing because of it. Uh, and that is tragic, because first of all, the monolithic project that was supposed to be magical and wonderful didn't end up so great. That cost is written off. Now we're doing a rewrite into microservices, and now we're seeing those microservices costs being written off because those created distributed, micro, uh, distributed monoliths instead of service architectures. And that's just, that's the end game for a development team. That, at that point, a development organization loses all of its credibility with the business and the business is going to stop giving permission to the So team. we've done a really good, I think, a really good job of scaring. Yep. And they so, should. No, but they should. They should be bloody, they should be bloody terrified <laughs> of this. This is, this is a Absolutely. massive, massive risk. And we've done a good job of sort of painting the um, the roadside mess. Uh, you mentioned breaking out versus breaking up rows. Could you give some uh, more concrete examples of what that would look like? Sure. Let's say you let's why say, one would be better than the other. Let's say you have a product row, and the product row has a, a product ID, a name, a description, uh, a price. Uh, and the uh, quantity in stock. So this is a bit of a naive design of, of a product, but you know it's 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 probably something that you would that that your average developer would look at and say, yeah, that that doesn't seem out of the ordinary, uh, or it doesn't seem doesn't seem necessarily wrong. Um, when you when you break out uh, a, an entity, a product is an entity. Product is also a row, so entity and row interchangeable. It's an entity in an ORM, and the ORM has a row, right? Has a table, has a row behind it. So that row structure is probably going to look a lot like 
product ID, product name, product description, product price, product quantity. Um, that's all in one row. That's all in one schema. When you break that out, you take that product and you move that entirely to its own service. When you break it up, you take the parts that belong together that reflect different services, like name and description are probably something that, they appear to be something that would be involved with a catalog. Um, the price appears to be something uh, that belongs to a price book uh, or price optimization. And quantity in stock um, obviously appears to be something related to inventory. That means you don't end up with a product service. You end up with catalog. You end up with product. Maybe. I'm not, you know, I, I can't guess at what somebody's architecture is going to be. But you end up with, a, in this in this example, a, a catalog service, uh, a quantity, uh, a, an inventory service, and a price book service or price optimization service. Um, those are separate services. That doesn't leave you with a product row, with the product row. That leaves you with product data that belongs in different services. So the product row has been broken up. The product entity has been broken up and distributed. Uh, and once you do that, um, you have to you have to embrace an entirely new way of doing communications between the, the different working parts of your system. Um, you can't just go and query the product, the entire product, pull it over to your code, to your system, your your service, and start doing sounds, the operations on it. That's, it sounds to me like a lot of what you're pointing at, a lot of the um, problems that we're seeing with the monolith is rather um, our sort of thinking and our uh, we, we conditioned ourselves to be thinking of in terms of relational database driven not really it's not not really so all this stuff about that i'm just talking about that doesn't doesn't stop you from using a relational database you can have the you know inventory product table you can have the price book product table you can have the catalog product table it's just that those fields are separate concerns i.e separation of concerns the problem as i said you know going back to this is that the monolith starts at 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 storage um, typically, I mean, what we see in the wild today in practice is the monolith. The monolith is a side effect of, of storage because you thought that, well, everything's product. That all goes into one row. Uh, if it goes into one row, it goes into one ORM model. And once it's in one ORM model, you'll have all kinds of code that uses that ORM model. So breaking that thing apart is going to become difficult because you've got one piece of code that says, well, I need to get the product because I need to use the name and description. Oh, I could also just use the price here. And then you couple to that price. Well, that price has to move to another system when you're doing service or an architecture. So all the code that is that has um, misappropriated or entangled itself with price when it shouldn't have, all that code needs to now be broken. Um, that's the problem of going from monolith from a from a tightly coupled monolith to a service architecture that you have existing business code, you have bus business logic that expects that you should be able to say product dot price when your code should only be doing product dot name and product dot description. But you also said, oh, price is here. I'll use product dot price. Well, that price isn't going to be there in a distributed system anymore. Now, you, now, what do you do? And and the answer to that question is a hella expensive project. And that's why people are ending up with the distributed monolith because say, well, I could see that that should be over there. But what I'm going to do here is just take a quick little short. How bad could it really be? How hard? How what, what what harm am I really going to do if I just don't break up the product but break out the product? And the answer is that harm will be described in the 
catastrophe that we call distributed objects that has already been attempted and debunked in the 90s and the 2000s. It's been done. It doesn't work. Go micro doesn't, the, you know, adding the Go language isn't going to solve this. Rebuilding it on Elixir doesn't solve this. This is an architectural problem, not a language and technology problem. Uh, and the real challenge is, uh, you know, for a CTO is um, a CTO actually might not be clued into what what this architecture should be, you know, when it's finally done correctly. Um, they might be trusting their development team to say, well, we're going to break out the product service and we're going to, you know, we're going to get all these benefits because, you know, we're going to have one one team of developers that only has to focus on product. And that's just simply not going to be the way it is because of how many things expect to query and, and use the product um, as opposed to uh, what you get in a service-oriented architecture. You still get this this nice, you know, subdivision of a large team into a smaller team with greater focus. Uh, but the but the path to get there is 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 quite a bit more difficult. You have to break up the monolithic entity, and that's where this comes from. The entity is monolithic, i.e., the row is monolithic. The entity is monolithic. You have to break up the monolithic entity, not break it out. And it's doom and gloom, man. It is doom and gloom. The cost. It is- sounds like a very uh, some very good words of caution, um, and also to be looking at, you know, are you. Are you just breaking things out? So taking the entities that you have uh, and just distributing them across services, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like a distributed uh, monolith or distributed yep. objects, or are you actually breaking up these entities, breaking up these rows, looking at the data that you have and how it is, and saying, you know, this isn't, this doesn't make uh, sense to be compartmentalized this way. Let's let's break these out into things that that matter. And that grouping, I guess. Uh, what does that come with experience? Are there um, pointers you can look at? Is there is there an easy path to understand how to break things up? Um, I think it is a lot of experience. Like you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily presume to to put those things in the same place, even in a monolith. But even if I was going to do that, if I was using Rails or Django or or Express, and I had them all in the same same storage uh, unit. My business logic that uses, let's say, product.name and product.description. If immediately turns around and uses product.price, I should say, well, price is really not like name and description. You know, price is, is sure, it's about, it has, it's, a, it's an attribute of a product, but uh, it has to do with product, but name and description are fundamentally different things. They, they serve different purposes, different use cases. And when you see data, from use cases that should be separate, when you see those, when you see those those separate data, those um, disparate data used together in the same place, uh, that should be that should be the the, the, the sign that that you know you've you've com- you've commingled things that, that that should have been separate all along. Um, so. <laughs> So we know with a monolithic code base, the cost of getting things wrong is ending up with um, kind of a, a crippling mess of technical debt where you're no longer able to move forward. Yeah, uh, and and, um, no, and I, I giggle I, I giggle at that a little bit, and it's almost a, it's almost a nervous laugh. Like it's not really it's not really funny. It's like <laughs> you're using price in the same code with name description. <laughs> if you've done this, you've probably done it everywhere, and it's a habit, and this habit is going to be expressed to the system. So. 
Now, what's the cost uh, when moving into microservices of getting things wrong? How hard is it to back out of, say, versus a monolith? Oh, it's, it's the same. It's the same difficulty. It's you know where you make something available, right? So I talked about the gaping wound uh, and the bacteria getting into it. You know, when you make something available to something else, that something else is said to be coupled. So once you have coupling, and you need to move something elsewhere, all that other, all that code that uses the thing, you know that. It presumes is always going to be there, and it's all, and now it's removed. That dependency, once that dependency can no longer be counted on, all that code has to be has to be reconsidered and rewritten. Um, and not only that, it can have a it can have a cascading it can have a cascading effect. It's not just I'm moving the price to the pricing service. It's like some other function that uses the pricing service is the pricing data that's in the wrong place. There's, you know, second level code that's using it that's expecting some other result that has been calculated off the price or whatever. That's a little bit naive, but but something like that. There's secondary and tertiary uh, effects of this, um, which and uh, which is what ends up being the most difficult thing to handle. It is very difficult to take a monolith and make it services if you haven't first figured out what the, and the right term for this in design is what the role interfaces are, i.e. product has three role interfaces. It has a catalog interface, it has a price interface, and it has an inventory interface. And if you're using the product, even if it's all in the same place, if you're using product through the catalog interface, you will only allow yourself to use name and description off that product. You won't allow yourself to couple to price and quantity. Taking a monolith that doesn't respect the role interfaces um, and making it respect the role interfaces is... is uh, not a trivial challenge. That means you don't get to pull the ejections. You don't get to escape the mess you made. You're going to clean the mess you made and make it right. And and often that can be as difficult uh, difficult a challenge as as building uh, a SOA to begin with. But it basically means that all the years you call it technical debt, all the years of incomplete work uh, and shortcuts that are in there involved with that that reflect the the, the uh, the, the failure to respect the, the role interfaces, um, all that is, all those payments are coming due. Uh, and you got to pay them down and you got to pay all the interest on it. Um, and there's no, there's no ejection seat handle. There's no punching out of this problem by trying to create uh, a distributed monolith because that's basically taking the same problems that you already have and putting networks between them and network calls between them, which makes the whole thing you know, you know. At present, the monolith is is just really painful to deal with uh, as a development team. In the future, when you create a distributed monolith, it's going to be failure prone as well. So now you're basically introducing a whole new, a whole new level of problems that you didn't have in the past, which are going to make those original monolith productivity problems look like kindergarten. And you'll have real systems failures uh, when you when you create a distributed monolith. Uh, you're lucky if you don't, but when you do have it, uh, fixing them uh, is going to be is going to be more daunting um, than just having just left well left alone and left the monolith the way it is and work progressively and incrementally on introducing the kinds of compartmentalizations, and decouplings, uh, and role interfaces that needed to begin there to be there to begin with. And once you get there with your monolith, you'll start to see the you'll start to get hints at what the natural delineations 
of your service architecture might be if you had a service architecture. I.e., it gives you a little bit of practice in terms of how to think about it, and 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 that's really really critical. Um, just jumping from a monolith into a service architecture means that you still are you still look at the world through the lens of a monolith, which means you're probably going to create a distributed monolith. Scott Belware of the Eventide Project, thank you very much for uh, enlightening us with your opinions and uh, background noises. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.